welcome to Untying the Knot. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Jake, and with me are my two co-hosts, uh, Minnie and Flavius. How's it going? What's up? And uh, this week, we're talking about the violence over Independence Day weekend. Not necessarily the actual stories of the violence, but, you know, like we always do, two stories um, from either side analyzing how they're reporting on the violence. So, um, just in general, uh, the 4th of July weekend saw several shootings across the nation, including in Chicago, Atlanta, and Cleveland. Many of the victims were children, and um, the coverage from several left-rated outlets was more likely to cover these shooting to frame these shootings as gun violence or rights issues. And um, that's how uh, all sides sort of uh, explained it. But I found it interesting because um, I think that the left-rated out- outlets were more likely to f- try to frame the, sh- the shootings in a sense of why, but the right-rated outlet that we saw really leaves the, uh, really omits in its own way certain information that allows the reader to uh, jump to, to certain conclusions or, ju- or, or, or sort of gives them the freedom to try to jump to their own conclusion if they want. Right. Um, yeah, I noticed um, reading the conservative article, this seemed a lot shorter than the liberal article. Oh, yeah. I mean, oh, very much so. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> to the point that I was, I kept scrolling and just seeing all the pictures for the next news article, thinking that I missed something, <laughs> but I didn't. <laughs> right. And then that was the thing was they, but at the same time, if you're looking at it in terms of information covered, they both covered the right. different sides of that exact same set of information. Right. The conservative was just very concise. Right. Um, so now, uh, I had said before we started that I wanted to talk about the Supreme Court decision regarding um, regarding uh, faithless electors, but which was interesting. But really, uh, you know, all all I have to say about that now, considering the more recent Supreme Court decisions that just keep coming down, is that uh, you know it's a good thing that they're making sure that electors have to be beholden to how the voters vote. Yeah, yeah. That was the same with the faithless electors thing, and it's it's good to have um, to. To, to make sure that they that the electors know that you know you're not just being put up there you're being put up there to vote a certain way because of how the people of your state voted right mm-hmm. voting in the state and so um i like that uh but then there's been all these things they they handed down one today that i found uh that, that i that i really need to look more into um because i bet it's based in uh treaties that are still open but up, up to half of oklahoma maybe uh basically reservation territory hmm. wow and, um you know considering our history of, of of breaking treaties with with native american tribes and and and, and the shaky uh ground on which uh native americans remain citizens uh, in some cases against the tribal nation's will um i find that decision interesting and i really hope that there's more coming out of that in, in upcoming weeks hmm. um yeah, uh, that the court is because it, it, it it's got to be based in something like uh, we have this treaty with 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 the uh, with the Native American tribe and we have to uphold it. Um, so I'm hoping to hear more about it. I just it, it happened today and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is fascinating. Right. <laughs> um, especially because like I, I had a the uh, the the. the <laughs> People, I, I've heard people talking about uh, the president's rally at Mount Rushmore, and and the thing about that is that like 
some people were saying some people are all on, on board with the whole monuments thing, but Mount Rushmore is a different kind of monument. Yeah. Yeah. A treaty with the Lakota. And we sniffed gold in them our hills and we took the land back and then someone like basically put a monument in the land that we took back against a treaty that we'd already signed. So like mm-hmm. like it's one thing to to signal your four um you know, preserving history through monuments or something like that. It's completely another thing to go to Mount Rushmore and hold a July 4th rally at a spot where we, we broke a treaty with a Native American nation. Yeah, it's very true. <laughs> so, um, yeah, there's just so much. I, I guess what I'm trying to get at is there's just so much news this week and so much of it is just all over the place. Um, so... But what we're specifically talking about, of course, is uh, the violence over the 4th of July weekend, other parts of 4th of July. Um, And since we started last week with the conservative source, we'll start with the liberal source this week. uh, The liberal source comes from uh, Robert, and I'm terrible with pronunciations when it's not some at at different times. This one is uh, Chiarito and Neil, which looks almost harder to pronounce, Neil... McFarquhar. <laughs> that sounds good to me. Why does that sound like a name from um, Futurama? Oh, no. Right? Shrek. I'm pretty sure. Like, isn't Farquhar the bad guy's name in Shrek? Yeah, that's exactly Farquhar. what it is. <laughs> that's what it was. I mean, why does that name sound so familiar? <laughs> really disturbing right now. <laughs> so, this article is uh, Chicago gun violence spikes and increases spikes and increasingly finds the youngest victims and it comes from the new york times on july 5th um and as 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 of last week really we're, we're starting instead of like just telling you about like what they say in the article we're telling you what the author's position is and trying to see if we can get some quotes and facts now we're gonna have a lot more quotes and facts this week from the liberal article because they tried to go into the issue which was a place where they could put of course more opinion We'll throw in more information and, and therefore more facts. The conservative article, as, as many pointed out, was very um, was very concise, and so there's not as much to include in this section. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, uh, you know, we're going to cover the author's position and then some of the more interesting things that they say, as well as how they cover the the information. So. Mm-hmm. This author's position is that the gun violence in Chicago is a systemic issue with many facets to explore. Um, and also, uh, it's interesting that in this case, uh, the, the conservative article is going to give information about a number of is- incidences in a number of cities, and the cities they're going to point out are varying sizes, so it's not just like it's happening in big cities or small cities. or Right. Like, they're pointing out it's happening in a lot of places. Mm-hmm. Right. The liberal-rated article sticks to the situation in Chicago, and I think that part of the reason that they do that is because by going into the situation in one area the liberal article tried to answer the why of this violence. They tried to at least make an argument for the why of uh, the violence in Chicago. And it's going to lead to throwing in their opinion more. Mm -hmm. But I think it's a, I think it's a good effort. Um, The conservative article is just going to go with the what and when, and never really even try to answer the why at all. And that's kind of a reason for their conciseness is they're not, they're not trying to, 
they're not trying to frame the violence or, or help you to understand the violence. They're literally just saying this violence happened. Right. Such a scattershot of mm-hmm. this violence happened. And here's all the places that it happened. It's almost like a, a, a an attempt of an attempt of shotgun blast of fear. Um, right. In a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the liberal, at least it gives a little more details to, I uh, guess, more three specific incidents right. that happened overall. Yeah, and it, yeah, I feel like the liberal article kind of helps direct some of your emotion too. Yeah, it, it paints a much more clear picture as to you know kind of what happened, and I mean they were all slightly different in as to who got injured, and it really was a little more spread out as to who it affected. Mm-hmm. And there's still, and, and 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 you know we're gonna we're gonna find you know tabloid and sensationalist and propaganda techniques and all in both articles. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's not like we're, we're as we as we as we heap our respect on the effort of the of the liberal article, right? We're not trying to say that the conser- liberal article good, conservative article bad. We're right. You know, kind of, we really did appreciate the uh, mm. the effort of the of the liberal authors. I think to mm. yeah. um, try to frame the information. Yeah. So, um, so some uh, the first interesting quote I had. And I have, uh, phew, there are a lot of them. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to try to rush through them. I don't want to try to go through each one, like exactly what I had to say um, or exactly what is written in the notes. But uh, there, there were just some really interesting quotes in this one. Uh, the first one, the author says, the violence comes amid a wrenching de- debate nationwide about policing in the wake of the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis at the hands of the police. Those who defend the police say the violence shows they need more support, not less, and that it is people living in high crime areas who most need effective policing. Critics say the violence shows how the police are failing the public, how deeply residents distrust officers, and the need for reforms and the transfer of funds to address underlying problems, including unemployment, mental illness, and drug drug use. And mm. I think that um, I think that the reason I, or I don't have to think the reason I thought that this was an interest or an important quote from the article is because it's a very succinct in, in explanation of the two sides of the current debate regarding locality issue that has been pushed into the federal theater by the size of the outcry and the sensationalist response. Neither of these perspectives is actually mutually exclusive. Nobody who is saying to fund the police. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm saying nobody and I'm wrong. Some of the people who are right, right. police are the anarchists who are like, yeah, yeah, just get rid of them. But that, yeah, that's a that is a, a yeah, it's a very small number. <laughs> you know, um, most of the people who are saying defund the police are basically aren't saying we we don't want police at all. They just want right effect. I think the quote really highlights they want effective policing. You know, that's yeah, they, yeah. They don't want just you know any policing they want they want standards and they want expectations and they want um mm-hmm. you know they want other problems to be addressed in their communities as well that don't necessarily need the police and they think that some of the funding that goes into say the militarization of the police could go to other things they still right. want the police they still want a police force and they still want a sense of law and order absolutely you know um so i think that's the uh I think I think the reason the reason I like that quote is because it, it does explain what both sides are saying, and um, I think it's just a myth that, based on the way this narrative is presented to us, that these ideas are mutually exclusive. You can have reform in the police and still 
believe in the need for policing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not two opposite things. You can both. <laughs> right. So um, the second quote was, uh, the pandemic has added significant stress on the communities that already suffer the most violence. Impoverished neighborhoods like Englewood have also have also have some of the highest rates of COVID-19 infections and deaths. Overall, there have been 53,375 known coronavirus cases in Chicago and at least 2,631 deaths, according to statistics from the state. Unemployment in some of the most affected areas rose to 35 percent from 28 percent during the pandemic. Now, I think there's a lot of there's a lot to unpack in those statistics, but I'm going to Father. Flegger said, this is, that is the tragedy. He said, this bad situation in this city got even worse with the pandemic. It exposed the reality that all black and brown communities are disproportionately affected. And I think that what, what is really important to note there, one, I have something else for when we get to the sensationalist propaganda techniques about the big numbers using yeah. statistics um, in general. I, I hate, I hate this. I hate the use of statistics in a lot of media outlets. Mm-hmm. Right. What most people aren't going to notice is that that subtle thirty five percent from twenty eight percent. When we're at a when we were at our best, when Trump was talking about the good things in the economy, we had single digit unemployment. But they're saying that unemployment in this specific area was twenty eight percent. Right. The unemployment was twenty eight percent before the pandemic. They were already in a bad place. Yeah. Yeah. Because they were already more than 20 percentage points above what the nationwide unemployment rate was. So other places must be employed at like in the nineties for them to be at that disadvantage. Right. Yeah. And a 7% increase, you know, from non-pandemic to pandemic. I'm mean, granted, it's still a pretty large amount of, you know, large number, but it could it, be worse. If it's, already, if it's already at 28%, adding another seven on top of that, tacking it on is not entirely uh, surprising. True. Not, and I agree with that. Not surprising. I do think that like, when we look at it in terms of like the, the whole systematic or institutional way we look at things, like mm-hmm. when we're sitting there reporting a great economy and, 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 and the unemployment in this community is at 28%, yeah. we, we need to look at why that's happening. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, even, even, even if, you know, you're right, the seven percentage points is not that, is statistically not as huge a jump as it, as it could be. Um, right. But we're also not looking at numbers here. We're looking at human lives. <laughs> right, exactly. And that's, I think that's the thing a lot of people forget is when they're looking at statistics, you know, they just see the numbers and they get the big oohs and the ahs. But you have to remember that these are human lives. These are, you know, brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers, like, you know, and like these are human beings that we're talking about, not just numbers. Exactly. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Um, so... I do think that these paragraphs begin to outline, though, the, and this is where I'm getting into the the, um, the liberal article ca- kind of trying to explain the why. They, they're, they're, these paragraphs are beginning to outline the conditions that breed the violence that we're seeing. You know, prior to the pandemic, the pr- poverty of the neighborhoods in question was already established. Then comes the mm-hmm. economic fallout from the sh- shutdowns, as well as the spread of the violence in these more population-dense urban settings, both of which are going to affect this community more than middle-class suburban areas. Mm-hmm. Right. your income prospects are drying up due to pandemic orders and economically you have a powder keg ready to go off and then we're going to see um there's there's some there's another quote that that really i think references this well because economic prospects income prospects are drying up 
what happens if you're a teenager, you know, in this community at this time, seeing your family go through a hard time and you just want to do what you can to help your family. Right. You know, um, I, there, there are some people, uh, some unsavory people who will take advantage of that. And I want to talk about that in a little bit. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but this, the next point that comes up in the article is they have a quote, people who have lost trust in the police are more prone to settle scores on their own. Expert says, um, mm-hmm. you know, people on, on order they're the people who are protesting, the people who are saying defund the police, they're stating that they do not trust the current policing system to fairly enforce the law and keep order. And so if they don't trust the professionals, whether they're honest and good people or not, regardless of which one, they're liable to try to enforce their own codes of ethics in their own way. And Mm -hmm. country with the right to bear arms, enforcing your own code of ethics turns into using those arms sometimes. And so that, it it becomes an issue, not just of, um, not just of, of punishing the people who misuse arms, but also working to build the trust with the police. Because if you trust the police, you're more likely to ask for them for help. Mm -hmm. You know? So, um, then the next quote, the police too are feeling the strain as they try to confront both the violence in the city and the pandemic. So, you know, we, we established the stress regarding the residents of the community. Well, there's a lot of stress on either side and that's going to affect their abilities to do their job and their, their ability to do their job fairly and well as well, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Cause they're kind of, taking it, they're taking it on two fronts and I don't think yeah. everybody realizes about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, it was like it was like the episode we talked about the, um, you know, uh, uh, what do you call it? The no knock warrants too. you know, people sometimes I feel like fail to see that the police are also suffering from that as well. You know? Yeah. And even and, and when and, you know, there are plenty of uh, officers who who can recognize when other officers don't really follow the code of ethics or follow the, 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 the fair policing and, and recognize that that affects how people trust the police and it affects their ability to do their job as well. Mm-hmm. You know? Right. Um, I'd like, I'd like to believe that there's a majority of good and honest cops out there. And the reason we hear so much about the ones that aren't is because that those are the ones that are sensationalized. You know I mean? When a lot of good things are happening, you typically talk about the bad things that happen. When there are a lot of bad things that happen, you typically talk about the good things that happen. <laughs> or if there's something that bad, then you talk about the thing that got worse. You know I mean? Yeah. So I, I I'd like to believe that there's a lot of uh, a lot of good and honest cops out there. I've met a, I've met met a lot of them, and I know a few. So you know, yeah. I, just uh, out of basis of me knowing the few that are good, you know, at least I can say that there's at least some good cops out there. Yeah, yeah. I, there's there's and there's one that I know um, <laughs> adamantly uh, makes his political views known uh, that I that I used to like to work out with and talk to, and <laughs> but like the way he would talk about mm-hmm. police officers are not up to the standard and how he couldn't stand that and how, you know, it would, their inability to uh, effectively be fair in their policing affected how he was able to bridge gaps with the community or, or made it harder for him to bridge gaps with the communities and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Right. They already established a certain picture. So for him trying to then essentially fix it or rearrange that picture, it's hard because, they're, ex- mm-hmm. they're expected to see one thing and you know you're showing what would be the you know the right side the 
more honorable side and they're you know they seem confused Mm -hmm. um so the next quote uh was the one that gets to the point i wanted to make before mr brown called the open-air drug markets on street corners the precursors to much of the violence with the drug sellers employing teenagers with no criminal histories they will be released if caught Mm -hmm. that ties into the point about poverty from before where we made the point about how, you know, it's, it's, it's this powder keg because, you know, the, the, the unemployment went up from 28 to 35%. Right. You see, like, if you're a teenager, you see the income prospects drying up. And even if you don't really like drugs or don't like doing drugs, if that's one of the only ways to make money so that your family can make rent, you're going to yeah. try it. Yeah. You might try it, you know? And, and, and to that point, the people who sell the drugs, I often point out like, you know, uh, when when it comes to selling drugs, people don't really want to make this comparison because one is a legitimate business and the other is not. But when it comes to selling drugs, you got to think of a pyramid scheme like Amway. Um, mm. Most people view the marketing model of Amway or or Sensi or any of those those mass those, those multi level marketing models. They they view them as predatory, um, right? But because their products are legal and they're consciously marketed to adults, nobody does anything about the predatory nature of those marketing models. Mm-hmm. Drug dealers have an extremely similar business model. Literally, you have to you have to use your own money to buy a supply, sell that stuff, yep. then use the profit to buy a new supply. Mm-hmm. Exactly what the MLM market is. Right. You know, you get um, big enough, then you can get other runners with you. Exactly. Right. Um except their product is illegal and they prey on youthful naivety. Mm-hmm. Right. So in a community where prospects to earn money are drying up and going away, you now have a, a group of people willing to actively go after the youth for their own benefit because they can disavow them when a true tragedy happens. The mm-hmm. is ripe for these criminal elements because of the systemic problems and the violence in this community is kind of a repercussion of the callous disregard for the communal well-being that occurs when individuals like the like the drug sellers at the top put their concerns over all else, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. um, and, 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 and that's a huge point. You know, these these drug sellers see this market. They know this market. They know this market is good for them. And so they employ teenagers because those teenagers have no criminal history. So they'll be released if caught. Those teenagers are probably desperate to get money for their families. Yeah. Right. And they're young. So they haven't learned not to trust these drug dealers. Right. And it, it, and that, that line of work is definitely glamorized as well. And it is terrifyingly easy to make a lot of money in a very short amount of time. Um, you can make thousands in a week, you know, like, mm-hmm. and then that's just, you know, and that's, that's another thing that they prey on too. And at the same time though, you got to think, I, I, <laughs> a lot of times I bring this back to song lyrics. Killer Mike has a song called Reagan, where he points out where he, he, the first verse is literally, he goes, uh, we should be indicted for the bullshit we're inciting. Mm. And, and what he, and what he's saying is, he goes, we, he, he, he even says, we, we, glor- we glamorize, we glorify this life. Yeah, exactly the same way that the government glorified this life for us when they were flying the bricks over in military planes in the eighties. Yeah, you know, and he even had quotes in the in the in the song from President Reagan, where in one point he goes, you know, I'm accused of doing these things, and I don't, and I did not do them. And then later on in the song at the end, he goes, so I was accused of doing those things. And in my heart, I still think I didn't do them. But the facts say otherwise. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a masterful way to like that. That's such a political response. In my heart, I didn't do anything wrong. But the facts that have been pointed out to me prove that I did. 
Right. <laughs> but I, I, I'd encourage people to look up that song. It's it's really interesting. Um, in 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 terms of the lyrics, it's a uh, Killer Mike and Reagan. Um, I don't. I, I leave it up to other people to have their opinions about individuals. So like, even though I have some respect for president Reagan, killer Mike does not. Yeah. <laughs> so, I'm just warning people right now. <laughs> if you look at the song, don't be offended when he says the things he says about president Reagan. He doesn't. <laughs> I, I have different things that I say about president Reagan because, you know, I, I, I tend to try to look at a, at a politician holistically and, and see them for the good and the bad. But mm-hmm. you know, some people have personal experience and right. Personal experience is something that I'm not going to negate. So, mm-hmm. you know, I do like the Killer Mike song. I'm not going to tell people that I endorse his view of President. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So the next quote, uh, the city needs to do more to protect witnesses. This is basically after they were talking about, uh, you know, why it's so lawless and why uh, we get this perception of lawlessness in Chicago. He says the city needs to do more to protect witnesses, said the Reverend Ira Acree of the Greater St. John Bible Church. People want to tell, but they are afraid. Mr. Acre told a community meeting that he organized to discuss the shootings, adding that people approach him repeatedly about doing the right thing. They tell him, he said, I want to go to heaven, but I do not want to go this week. Mm. <laughs> Basically, this is telling me because it tells you that in the city, witness intimidation is working. Right. Without some kind of change in procedure, this will continue to be the case. Right. While many would argue that this is an indication for a need for more law and order, the same people are, in theory, then arguing to continue doing the same thing and hoping for a different result in Chicago. Because if you think that they have seen this rise of violence and have not tried more law and order in terms of, like, trying to strengthen the the force and militarize police – then you'd be you, you have not done a thorough audit of Chicago's uh policing budget, you know, textbook insanity, huh? Textbook insanity, <laughs> yeah, you know, doing the same thing and uh, expecting different, different results, yeah. And so, you know, something's got to change because witness intimidation is working and it's not like they aren't pouring money into the police in Chicago, right? You know, mm-hmm. um, then the next one was one. That um, the last the last main quote from here um, was one that I, I found interesting because it brought me back a few years ago. And, and I had a friend uh, who, who basically saved this recording on his phone. Um, but there was there was a recording from Tupac. And it's really interesting in context of this quote from the article in the article. The Reverend Acre says, there was a time even in the gangs, there was some code of ethics. You would mm-hmm. bother the kids or the old ladies. They were off limits. Right. Right. And so a couple of years ago, it was well after he died. It was it was like 2014 when when um, what was what was the guy's name? Senika Shakur. Um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, released the, the, the tape of, of this recording of, of Tupac. Um, talking to him on the phone and uh, Tupac says, I've just been struggling out here looking for you, man. I need some help admits Pac before breaking down the project that he wanted Senika's assistance in launching. We start this mm-hmm. football, basketball, softball for girls and boys. He explained, I'm going to get all the rappers to adopt it. And the rappers put the money up. We have the churches come out and sell food. We have the fathers and the uncles and all of the men in the community. They do security. 
get their respect back for the kids and everything. Then we have the FOI, the bodyguards from the Nation of Islam, come out. We have the deacons from the church. They do the security. Then we just play football, baseball. Get that community spirit going again. Added in his strategy was free weekend shows in the hood and a goodwill tour to make the streets safer for children. The idea was that he and other rap artists would drive around drug-infested areas asking dealers and gang members to stop the violence and criminal activity between specific hours. And the thing is, they they summarize it in in this in this section but i did for you guys and 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 we're going to be um we're going to start putting up the notes for uh patreon subscribers so if you're a patreon subscriber and and you and you hop onto our patreon page our notes will be put up there and this this link will be in the notes um it's at hiphopwired.com and it's this 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 phone call he he doesn't just say oh yeah we'd go asking them he literally talks about setting up um summits with right Right. It's with the people who are in control of the drug stuff. And, and his point is, they're not going to go away. You're not going to just like sit there and, and, right. and strengthen this, this war on drugs and get rid of them. They're going to be there. Right. But yeah, get them to have hours of operation and hours right. of operation when people aren't on the street. So if they do some stupid crap, like the people who are innocent don't become bystanders. And right. Point. And it's it's a really fascinating phone call that I encourage people to listen to, um, mm. you know, just in terms of, of, of a different idea, at least, for uh, a benefiting a community. Right. And who not better to, you know, to champion this cause than someone who's idolized in that community. Right. Exactly. And, and like, he, he was trying to get a, a coalition of rappers and stuff to do this. And mm-hmm. There are plenty that would have been willing. Um, right. Because I believe in the call, he even starts talking about how it's not even about East Coast, West Coast. Let's squash that and let's get this going. Right. And, you know, it, it doesn't, it, it, of course, that was, ni- that was 1995. So it didn't act. It was a fascinating and, and, and really brilliant idea, mm-hmm. uh, I think, from, from someone who is, who is really um, venerated as an artist. Yeah. You know? yeah. Don't- this specifically. Yeah. Um, so, all right. Those are all the pieces of, of, of big information um, in the article, the, the interesting quotes, the interesting facts. Now let's talk about the sensationalism in the article. Um, first off, they definitely used vague testimony that cards. There's a very effective use of tragedy to evoke fear in the reader. And I, mm-hmm. I know this because, and it's not just because I'm, I'm a parent, but whenever I read these articles about violence and they start bringing it about children, the yeah. first, that I do is empathize with the parents. Um, yeah. I don't know about you yeah. guys. I was, I was, I was close to crying. No, uh, yeah, likewise. The, 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 the parents who talked about their, like everything that happened to them. Yeah. Right. It hits me. It hits me hard. And I'll admit that. Um, and you know, so- the article did what it basically did. It, it, I mean, it got you very emotional about it. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, that was the goal. And I, and I can admit they hit their goal with me. Um, mm-hmm. without was they didn't they didn't make it with me. <laughs> well, no. I'm heartless oh, here. <laughs> I think it's a good time. Stone Flavius has. Um, I try. Know, I try. Last week's too. Honestly, anything that you know is involved around with kids. To be honest, for me is is a tough is, is a rough spot. You know, because well, just in general. I mean, it's it's pretty much like the the closest thing to innocence that we can we can see and we can grasp. You know, as human beings. Yeah, and I mean, um, to have that tarnished is 
it's heart wrenching. I mean, last week's uh, last week's episode and then this week's too. Sorry, viewers. Uh, <laughs> but um, you know, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. As uh, we worked before as teachers, and you know, so yeah. to work around kids like this kind of article, like you said, they definitely hit their mark in trying to make it emotional, and yeah. it does become that. Yeah. Um. Although I, you know, we're 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 saying like it definitely hit the mark. There was some. There was a point I wanted to make because without making the statement explicitly, the article implies that all of the cases they shared are cases where children died as a result of simply being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Right. They really focused on the youngest children. And I think the problem with, I think the reason that is, or the problem with that is if you're reading the article carefully, the implication the article makes about the reasons that drug pushers use youthful sellers Mm -hmm. implies some of the cases shared in the article where the child was of a certain age, say above the age of, you know, 12 or 13. Right. Maybe have been examples of youth being affected by the more permanent repercussions of a dangerous choice. Right. You know, regardless of the reason behind that choice. Right. I do think that like when we're talking about the three-year-olds that they mentioned in the article, Oh, (laughs) definitely wrong place, wrong time. Yeah. Yeah. But some of the older kids where they only shared their, the fact that someone was shot in their age. Yeah. It's hard to tell if that is not, if that is actually like a, a innocent bystander type thing or a act or, or like made the bet, made the uninformed choice to join into a system that they weren't prepared for. Right. And I mean, that goes right. to the other, the, the other young ch- children as well. I mean, not to, you know, say, I, I mean, this is all speculation, but who knows, like, you know, what any of that article or where the, you know, the cases were from, like, you know, the two that were, uh, the, you know, they, they mentioned two of the cases where, you know, gunfire was shot on the cars, um, you know, doesn't really give reason as to why the gunshot, you know, why the cars were fired at, you know, right. and there's like, you know, the, you know, the, the, the rogue shots from a block away where somebody who had, you know, uh, automatic, you know, rifle, you know, that shot, you know, was that like a, just a freak accident, unfortunately, or was that something else? Or was there something, you know, some nefarious things behind that? Right. Um, they didn't, they don't go into detail. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, it kind of leaves you up for, you know, speculation as well, but you know, it, does, it definitely doesn't um, stop you from uh, emitting the emotions from it, or eliciting the emotions with it. Yeah. I still, find, even, even with this, I, I, I was still near tears at certain points. Yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, because that's not, I mean, there's no, life shouldn't be taken away so quickly. <laughs> yeah. You know. Um, another example of sensationalism in this article was out of context statistics. Now, we talked about that other statistic, the 28 to 35. Um, mm-hmm. But what, what, what really bugged me was it, a lot of times when it comes to the virus, they use the big number tactic. You know, it's, it's an effort to scare the reader. The author includes the number of cases mm-hmm. out comparing them to the population right of an area so in this case they give you the number of cases in chicago of the virus according to state data without comparing them to the population of chicago so i did the math you know there's fifty three thousand three hundred seventy five cases divided by a total population of eight million eight hundred sixty five thousand people equals point zero zero six or rounding that into a percentage point zero six percent of the population mm-hmm Okay, that's the percentage of the population in a hard hit area that um, contracted 
or had a case of the coronavirus. Now, that doesn't mean that that's the total number of cases in that area because not everyone gets tested. Right. You know, some people who don't feel as bad don't go to the hospital. Right. But that's those are the cases that got tested. So now, but now in that context, when you think about the deaths, take the 2,631 deaths and divide it by 8,000 or 8,865,000, that gets into those calculator functions that I am not good at interpreting because the number is so small. Right. That it's dot something, 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 E something. Right. Um, <laughs> basically, what we can, what I can say is, the deaths are well below 0.6% of the population of the city. Mm -hmm. In other words, you haven't even reached a, a, a death rate of like 1%. Right. You know, and I'm sorry, we grew up on movies like Resident Evil. We grew up on movies like <laughs> Outbreak and stuff where it was yeah, devastation. You know, yeah. so I'm looking at this and, and it's not that I'm trying to be callous. Like you said, uh, Minnie, um, we're looking at numbers and talking about lives. Right. You know, so I'm not trying to be callous. I'm not trying to dismiss anyone's death or right. sickness. Um, that is not the goal. And, 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 and I apologize if that is the uh, impression that people are getting. I'm just trying to say that, like, when you grow up watching horror movies of more complete pandemics like like all those zombie movies were ascent 28 days later 20 oh yeah i mean that's everybody oh, yeah they're going well into like the 90s 90 percentiles <laughs> but those are also <laughs> pandemic movies right? yeah you no know? so like i'm sitting here trying to compare it to what i to what i feared as a kid and i'm just like but this the numbers don't match right you know um this information doesn't now the the, the point i want to make about this is the information that we're sharing about the statistics, the, st the statistics are a sensationalist effort. It's an effort to get you scared. And right. my point is, I wasn't scared because I've been scared by other efforts to use much higher statistics in similar efforts in narrative fiction. You know, right. um, the thing about that is all of what we're talking about with the sensationalism and calling out the liberal article for the sensationalism does not negate the effect that such continued fear mongering would have on a vulnerable population, nor the effect the economic conditions that have resulted from the pandemic would have on the same vulnerable population. And therefore does not limit the argument that the pandemic has had an effect on increased violence. Right. That is still there. Um, the pro I, I just, and, 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 and it's, it's like this in a lot of articles right now because of the scariness of the virus. I have a problem with news journalists using out of context, out of context statistics and not making enough of an effort to contextualize what they're saying, because right. it's, it's, it's very easy to scare people using numbers they don't understand. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. You know, um, and, and so that's what we're calling out. We're calling out the news organization for trying to scare people using numbers they don't understand. We're not trying to limit the seriousness of the virus. We're not trying to limit the, um, the gravity, the gravity, gravity of the violence either. Yeah. The gravity, hmm. the illnesses or the deaths. Um, that is not our intention at all. We're just, right. because regardless of how you fall in the political spectrum of how the virus gets talked about now, there are people who people have suffered and died and, yeah. and, we can't erase that. 
and we can't just use numbers to hide that. But we also shouldn't be using numbers we to scare people either. They're a part of to uh, scare other people without explaining. Right. You know. Absolutely. Uh, it's a, it's again one of those things where I don't think it's mutually exclusive. I think that you know you can you can explain the statistics and still explain why it's important to do certain things like, right. You know, yeah, we're, we're, we're saying that the cases that we have and the deaths that we have don't really amount to uh, a scary statistic, but at the same time, that doesn't mean that um, people shouldn't be taking precautions because people are dying. So, yeah, you know, take precautions. Yeah, I mean, time like this, people are doing, like you said, people are in very um, tight situations that they're going to do what they must, and right, it's either going to go well or go bad. Yeah. yeah, and don't and don't let the statistics that they give, you know, dictate your emotional standpoint on everything else you do. Yeah, yeah, but at the same time, you know, make an effort to you know, recognize that we're all in this together. We're all right. a common uh, society. And so if people are trying to make sure that this virus doesn't spread, instead of jeering at them, you know, help make sure a virus doesn't spread. It's not. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, it, it, it doesn't have to be one way or the other. Like if you, if you don't, if you're not scared enough of the virus to, to, uh, do things based on the fear tactic, you know, it doesn't change, you know. At least have the common decency to to appreciate human value. Yeah. And, you know, and lives other than yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, the last element of sensationalism that I, not the last, I, I, I tried to limit myself to three because I used so many, so many yeah. quotes. But uh, the other, another thing that I saw uh, uh, as sensationalism in the um, liberal article was the unnecessarily unnecessary testimonial or transfer. Um, mm-hmm. up, in one paragraph, they bring up President Trump and his actions with regard to Chicago in late June. Um, but since the issue there of discussing is community violence and police, it's a local issue. It's unnecessary to bring the federal government into it without pointing out the difference between local politics and federal politics. Right. Um, Unless the effort is being made in the interest of tabloid transfer or evoking the name of a common villain for their readership in order to cement their standing on a given side. Right. Otherwise, it's just an unnecessary testimonial yeah. uh, from someone who is well outside the situation and is especially misplaced in a section about the give and take between local government and local police unions. Mm-hmm. We go from local government, local police unions, local government, local police unions to, oh, and president. Yeah. <laughs> Like pick a side and stick to it. You know where do you stand? You know should the federal government be involved or not? I mean, you know, yeah. But if it's, if it's a local, you know, issue, I mean, that's that's the whole point of our, our, you know, our government now is federal stays federal. You know, and they they have a blanket, you know, the blanket laws that go across the board. But local local governments need to be on top of it. You know, and that's the thing. Yeah. Well, and in the wake of more modern current events, we've we've just had so much where. Uh, the the president has expressed something, but then state and local government has said, no, this is our jurisdiction. And the president hasn't pushed. Mm-hmm. And the reason he hasn't pushed is because, you know, the federal courts, regardless of who nominates them would still back up the state and local government. Cause it's an issue of limited government that the constitution is pretty, pretty clear about. Right. Right. So, you know, um, there are sections that remain in the bill of rights that remain specifically vague on purpose to, to allow for 
uh, sort of like uh, societal interpretation based on need, but a lot of the stuff in the seven articles is not that way. And so the, the, the marked difference between the three branches and the marked difference between the three levels of government is um, noted for in the constitution and then expected to be noted for in state constitutions as well. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's actually, it, it's um, when we're talking about the, the issue being a local issue, it, it's, it's something that it has been something that kind of stymies the, uh, efforts of this president in some ways, because he's, he's, he's sort of tried to, you know, he comes from the boardroom. He comes from a, a situation where, uh, you know, he said it, it got done. And right. then he jumped into a, an executive position where it was specifically tailored to not be that way. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people are quick to jump to uh, conservatives are fascist or liberal are, or liberals are communist. And they don't really uh, take the time to notice the distinctions where like, I don't think Trump is a fascist. I think right. Trump is a, is a CEO who wasn't prepared for the ways that the uh, presidency is specifically made to not be like a CEO position. Right. You know, mm. uh, just like I didn't think Obama was uh, a, a, a communist. I think he was just, a, uh, uh, you know, more interested in, in socialist um, legislation in some ways because there is no true free market economy anymore. And, and, and the balance of uh, public to private sector is, is, is something that has been mm -hmm. um, on the national debate stage since the days of Franklin Delano Roosevelt, at least, mm -hmm. you right. know, so it, it, it's, it's just, it, we, we jump to our villains. Um, but I, I, I do think that, uh, you know, we, when it comes to like the president, he wasn't he, he's an outsider who didn't expect the way that the position was expected to be and i think that that speaks to his ability in that position because he hasn't tried to change anything over four years mm -hmm. you know so if he hasn't tried to change anything if he hasn't tried to adapt to the, to the position maybe it's time to say he doesn't right he doesn't really fit the position that well but that's that's not other people's uh that's other people's choice to make that's mm -hmm to make my the my choice for who my ballot's going to go towards but you know um whether or not people want to vote for him that's going to be their decision right i'm not going to try to pass judgment i just do think that um when it comes to the president i don't think he's a fascist i think he's just a businessman who is used to being able to say it and have it be done in his business right you know so anyway after that editorializing on to our <laughs> yeah, on to the next one <laughs> <laughs> um so we have this one i believe if my years of pronunciation in in um in schools are correct and I, I may be wrong it could just be george but we have something from uh jorge fitzgibbon yep um that's definitely it's... george fitzgibbon <laughs> <laughs> and uh he he his his article is titled "Dozens of Shooting Acro Shootings Across the U.S. Mark Bloody Fourth July Fourth Weekend," and this one comes from the New York Post on the same day, July fifth, twenty twenty. And uh, in this case, uh, it's like we said, it was a very succinct article. Um, yeah. yeah. Basically, position in in this conservative article was an amount of gun violence remarkable enough to write something about happened over the weekend, mm -hmm. and that's it. I mean, yeah. it did. They, they wrote it. They presented it on the news. It's unfortunate, but it did happen. Yep. 
And mm-hmm. so the I, I'd love to have as many important facts or quotes from this article as we did from the other one, but it's just it's shorter. And I think the reason it's shorter is because they did not try to contextualize anything. They just it happened here. It happened here. It happened here. It happened here. Right. And so the article is pretty straightforward. For the most part, the information that is laid out is just factual. Right. Um, and as a result, the article is much shorter than our comparative liberal article. The main fact is laid out in the first sentence. He says. The nation's Fourth of July weekend was marred by the wrong kind of fireworks. Mm-hmm. And then from there, the rest of the article simply shares examples of those wrong kind of fireworks. It happened right. here. Example. It happened here in this example. Right. Um, so it's interesting that they did not try to provide any context because in the context of the national debate around policing and gun violence, this comes off as something that is uh, sensationalistically implicit. Uh they basically share a bunch of cases and just like with the other article where like the cases that they shared are supposed to hit you and make you emotional and make you feel something. Right. They give you a shotgun blast of shootings. You know, they basically say a shooting happened here, a shooting happened here, a shooting happened here. It's meant to make you scared, but mm-hmm. without adding any context, you're allowed as the reader to pick what it is that scares you about that. Yeah. You know? You're you're allowed. You're given the freedom to assume other news stories. What is it? What is causing these these things to happen? And and they don't tell you what's causing them to happen. They tell you that they happened, and yeah. then for you to say, yeah. oh well, it's happening because of this or this or this. So you know, a reader who goes, oh, there are a bunch of shootings, and I've been hearing a bunch of things about riots from my from my news sources. All of a sudden, oh, there are a bunch of shootings because of these riots. Then you. You know, it's it's, it's that mm-hmm. use, it's the lack of an attempt to contextualize is in its own way a use of transfer. Yeah. But at the same time, when we get to our bias ratings, I, 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 we're, we're talking about the sensationalism in the article, not the sensationalist effort that might be implicit. We're not we're not right. We can't we, we can't judge based on implication. Right. Judging based on what is there. Yeah, what was given to us. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I have two examples of sensationalism from this one. The first one is vague stacked cards. Um, in an article about a rash of shootings across the country, it is almost impossible to avoid sowing fear in the reader. Therefore, it seems pretty honorable to write a, sto- a factual story about such horrific events. However, the lack of a deeper look into the context of some of the shootings allows the reader to associate them with anything in the news. Mm-hmm. And therefore, without deeper context regarding community economics and black and black markets, like drug markets, not, not racial, the black market in terms of like a, a, a off the books market. Right. <laughs> by the other article, we as readers are allowed to assume the shootings could be connected to anything violent that we fear and mistrust. Right. You know, because that's the thing is like, some people might might uh, start to associate it with peaceful protests because they're afraid of riots. Yeah, well, afraid of. Um, let's say I've been reading a bunch of stuff about jackalopes. If I'm afraid of jackalopes, yeah, right, I'm free as the reader to assume that that is the reason for a bunch of. They were just they were just hunting those jackalopes, right? <laughs> and they missed. They need right. to be, or they're shooting, <laughs> right? <laughs> but like. It, it, without providing any kind of attempt at context, you're basically inviting the reader to make the, whatever assumption they want. Now my assumption of course was ridiculous, but that was supposed to be the point to point out that I could make a ridiculous assumption. Right. 
and it still falls in line with what that with, with what that attempt seems to imply right um the other sensationalist effort i saw was a vague testimonial mm-hmm. the article does a half-hearted attempt to semper, sem, center on chicago including including quotes from the mayor um but since the focus of the article is on the nationwide shootings and not specific to Chicago. It is unclear as to why, um, except that the quote from the mayor relates to the death of a seven-year-old girl. And like I said, with the other one, yeah, you know, it, it gets you with those parental fears. Yep. As soon as they start talking about this seven-year-old girl whose parents, mm-hmm. whose parents are going through the worst thing I can imagine. Yeah. Right. yeah. And, you know, close to tears. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. You know, it, 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 it's a vague testimonial. It's unclear as to why, except that it hits it hits you in that parental fear, at least in that existential fear, mm-hmm. um, if, if it doesn't hit you the parental way. Right. Know? It's just, it, it, it's, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so on to our bias ratings. And I like doing them one after the other instead of doing them after the articles uh i don't know about you guys yeah i agree i like that <laughs> we should yeah. probably yeah stick to doing it this way <laughs> i think it helps us to compare the articles so um yeah. for my bias ratings uh for the liberal source i gave them a 2.5 uh the article pr- uh, attempts to provide some context to the violence in chicago in a way that you could probably generalize to provide insight into the conditions in other localities in a, in a pretty effective way mm-hmm. um it is a longer and more opinionated offering than our conservative source. I mean, that's, that, that's just how it is because yeah. it has more option or it, ha- it has more uh, available space to be more opinionated. And, and it is. Yeah. Right. Personally, I appreciate a lot of the aspects of this article because uh, it provides context into the life of the community in question and attempts to get at the why of the violence and not just the what and when. Yeah. However, I do have, you know, it's, it's important, I have to admit, in order to ask those questions, the author jumps into some sensationalist traps that are evident in the final result, and therefore I give the liberal source a 2.5. Mm-hmm. Um, what about you guys? I'd have to agree. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I'd honestly even give it as, as high as a 2.8, only because of the emotion that, you, you know, they did elicit and again the bias rating is never you know it's not necessarily a negative to that is uh i mean there was a lot of information given and i agree with a lot of the information there was and it was nice to see all that information too but i feel like it did elicit a lot more emotion um from it and with the with the use of like the uh um the statistics too which i i felt was unnecessary i i feel like i would give it a higher rating yeah um to the conservative source um, I gave it, I gave it a significantly lesser bias rating. Um, I gave it a 1.5 personally, and you can hear it in the way I talk about this art, this conservative source. Um, I want to be harder on the article mm-hmm. implications of the vague honesty of the article, but I feel like that isn't the point of our bias rating feature. I yeah. feel like one of our bias rating feature is to, is to rate the bias that we actually physically see. And so if we are rating the actual bias evident in the article, not the bias implied by the context of the moment in which the article was written, I, I don't think I can be hard. I, I, I think it would be unfair to the conservative source to be harsh on it in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So, like I personally don't like the, the way 
the author presented the facts with regard to the assumptions that they allow the reader to make about those facts. I agree. I, I, I think it would be unfair of me to provide a harsher bias rate, bias rating based on my own perception of the implications. Right. You know, right. this is a very factual article. The conservative article is very factual, but in yeah. this case, I do wish the author would have made more of an effort to provide context to their readers. Um, and in our notes, I say it's in order to provide some of the incorrect, prevent some of the incorrect emotional transfer connections that some of those readers will make about the facts. Mm -hmm. I think another reason that I'm so disappointed in the conservative article is because um, we got the context of the opinions of the little liberal author. Yeah. We don't get the context of even the opinions of the conservative author. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's not, it's not like it's a balanced comparison. Yeah. Um, You know, honestly, um, I think that if we were able to see more of uh, the author's opinion in this, it might have given us, since we're reading both sources and, and reading both arguments analytically, it might have given us a better understanding of it. So I'm almost disappointed in the conservative source in a way because I wanted to know their opinions and they didn't give them to me. Yeah, I was I was actually going to say the same thing. Honestly speaking, if he had been more, um, you know, if he had put more context in it, I probably would have given a lower, uh, you know, rating if he wasn't so vague. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think the vagueness kind of gives it, you know, the 1.5, which I agree with. Um, yeah, again, just contextually, there just wasn't enough. And mm-hmm. that, that leaves it up to interpretation, which I feel like is not necessarily the best route you want to go with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What about you, Flavius? Um, you- no, it's fine. Um, I'm pretty much right along with you guys. Um, yeah, th- the fact is that it, it doesn't give enough, like maybe really a 1.4, 1.3. Mm-hmm. It's just if it gave more, then it, it it paints more as to what um, they're trying to say, and it just wasn't enough on this on this one. Mm-hmm. It just the, there weren't enough. There was plenty of facts. There just weren't enough opinions to to round out the article and really make a comparative effort to the to the liberal source. Yeah, um, the right. liberal source is definitely more biased. But I, I uh, in, in a weird way, I wish the conservative source had been more biased. Agreed. <laughs> um. So, let's see. The final thought. I wrote a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna try to. to uh, I'm going to try to get through it and not be (laughs) basically gun violence in the United States and what to do about it are highly controversial topics. Mm -hmm. The purpose of this podcast is not to tell you how to feel about it or what needs to be done about it. Right. Your beliefs are up to you. We are not trying to, when we express our opinions, we want them to be upfront that they are opinions. We are not trying to affect your beliefs. We want you to, we want you to be informed citizens. That's, Mm -hmm. All we want. Um, if you're informed citizens that don't agree with us, you're still an informed citizen, and that's that. That's that's what we want. Right. Um, our goal is to talk about how both sides are covering the issue in order to gain the fullest understanding of the facts as possible. In this case, the simple fact is that there was a rash of violent actions that occurred while many of us were celebrating the mailing of the most famous letter in history. Mm-hmm. In that fact. One side told us all about the events of the weekend and gave us a pretty factual account of the when and the what of the issue. While the other side attempted to take a closer look at a case study in order to help us see the possible why of the issue. Um, neither side, in, in, in my opinion, you guys can 
back me up or disagree if you want. I, I would say neither side was at their worst in terms of bias, which is, is a testament to the civility both sides can display when the issue is as heart-wrenching as the one discussed today. We try right. to throw humor because sometimes that's how you deal with something uh, that is this irritating. Uh, mm-hmm. um, but it, it, it's, it's a difficult issue. And um, I don't think either side was at their worst when it comes to attempting to be biased or not biased. Right, which has been interesting to see. I feel like we've been seeing a lot more of that recently than there has been before. Um, I, I, I guess it's just, you know, there's there's a lot of undisputable facts and there's a lot of undisputable, like, hardships going on right now that it's almost, uh, it's hard to, to have a huge, um, you know, I, I guess, you know, the, the, you know, play the cards the way they wanted to before. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree with that. Um However, uh, when it comes to the, the bias ratings, while the, while the conservative bias article squeaked by with the lower overall bias rating today, I am, uh, as, as you've heard us all state, we're a little upset with how the conservative article avoided providing context to the readers. Yeah. Um, a mission of information can have just as much of a sensationalist effect as a highly targeted information. Right. So in right. times like we find ourselves in now, one of the things that that tends to happen and it, and it happened during the civil rights era of 19 of the 1960s as well um you know uh, many of the moderates who were sympathetic to the outcry at the beginning of the outcry start to get tired of the 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 slow pace at which our bureaucracy was always meant to run Mm-hmm. Um, and and they and they start to express a desire to return to the supposed tranquility from before the unrest, without an accurate check into whether the concerns that had been expressed were adequately addressed. Um, and it is kind of these moderates that I, 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 in my opinion, think that the conservative article is kind of trying to target those who simply want to return to what they believed was an idyllic state, even though it was much more of a difficult time for some of their fellow citizens. They yeah. want turn to tranquility even though to return to that exact sense of tranquility you'd have to accept that some people saw that time of tranquility as one of like one of hardship for themselves yeah and and, and in that respect doing returning to the to the to that state of tra- tranquility before we have uh, adequately addressed the concerns that have been expressed or mm-hmm. Tried to adequately address the concerns that have been expressed is a recipe for a return to unrest within a few months or years or, or, or you know i was gonna I, I started out too high i was gonna say weeks or months or even years but you know mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> mess that one up <laughs> and i tried to compare it to um a pot of a boiling pot of rice mm-hmm. if we see that the water is boiling as like and so the water boiling would be the the overall consensus that the the protests were valid and justified and we needed to listen to the protests mm-hmm. that's the water boiling if we see the water is boiling and don't reduce the temperature to a simmer and cover the pot like we know we're supposed to according to the recipe mm-hmm. then the water will evaporate before the rice can absorb it and the rice will burn mm-hmm. right and mm-hmm. and so the, the, the evaporation of the water and the burning rice is that return to unrest. If we see the water is boiling and we cover the pot, but don't reduce the temperature enough, the water will boil over 
and cause a mess and the rice might still burn because the, the temperature is, is still too hot for it. Mm. And, and, and so that's that slow burn. That's that we want to return to tranquility. So we'll do something, but right. we won't follow the recipe. Mm. We'll, 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 we'll cover the pot. We'll reduce the temperature a little bit, but I don't really trust that it says to have it simmer for 15 minutes. So I'm going to put it on halfway mm. you know, mm-hmm. over. It's going to cause a mess. The rice might burn. So in other words, the unrest you would see won't be as bad as if you just completely ignored the problem. Right. Like, not reducing the temperature and covering the pot at all, but it's, you're still going to see a return to that unrest. Right. The best pop- possible option is to make sure to complete all of the steps to cook the rice. Now that doesn't mean doing everything that the protesters say. It means listening and at least trying to address yeah. problems and not seeking a return to tranquility before we've done that. Yeah. In the context of current events, if we try to return to politics as usual before the unrest regarding systemic issues is addressed, the unrest will return in a way that is possibly more violent before, possibly less, but it will just return. Mm. If makes superficial efforts that don't address the actual problems that cause the unrest, then the unrest will probably return, although it might only be just as bad as last time and not worse. Mm. So if our goal is to address the unrest, to move into a phase of true tranquility, then we have to at least listen. We have to at least try to address the unrest, try to address the issues and try to improve the condition of living in the United States for everyone. Yeah. You know, Um, and and to that end, I I think of it in terms of um, the the replacement myth. Um, And I refer to it's that. The, the the best example of the replacement myth is the uh, they took our jobs joke in South Park, which mm-hmm. is just gets more and more like not even sounding like words till it's like they took the job. right. <laughs> you know? and, and 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 the point is that it, it, it's a myth. Right. This country is still seventy six point three percent white, and I'm using census data to, to state that. I, I this is what the U.S. government says. Mm-hmm. Um. So for 2020, based on 2019 estimates, we're 76.3% white. 20 years ago, in the year 2000, the population was 75.1% white. Mm. White people are not being replaced by immigration. And they will not be replaced by having the government take an honest look at how they approach interacting with different racial communities. Right. You know, we're not being replaced. Mm-hmm. Replacement myth is a myth. Right. It, 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 that's just it. Um, not only that, but we could effectively take things one step further and begin to demand better overall accountability from our elected officials. Mm -hmm. Gerrymandering is a terrible practice. It's utilized by both parties to effectively limit the value of our votes, regardless of race. It's effort to, oh, there's a community that would not side with my political party. I'm going to break them up to limit their voice. Mm -hmm. You know, it's insidious nature is just so much more pronounced when it is undertaken in a racial context. But if we all push to eliminate gerrymandering as a practice, it would improve the political, the nature of political representation for all communities in the United States, because you wouldn't be breaking up communities. Right. You know, so that means if we're talking all communities, that includes minority communities. Mm -hmm. The central focus to, um, if you read the ballot and the bullet speech by Malcolm X, what he's basically saying in that speech is, he he says, you know, in the South, they're racist to us and try to and try to just not give us the right to vote. 
in the north they give us the right to vote but then they break up our communities so that even if we're trying to vote we still aren't a majority anywhere we vote so we just you know wind up still voting for representation that doesn't really help us right you know and and he's and he specifically calls out gerrymandering gerrymandering is is is, it affects all voters and if we did something about it it would improve the nature of political representation for minority communities and all other communities absolutely you know so um you know that's some place that we could look if we want to address some systemic systemic issues in our government let's look at the practice of gerrymandering and whether or not we think that politicians should be of, of either party yeah whether it's democrat republican independent mm-hmm. uh you know communist party fascist party yes those things exist right <laughs> you know but any party i don't want them to be able to gerrymander mm-hmm. doesn't matter which one absolutely um the protesters are speaking out about a lack of responsive politics at all levels from both parties you know the republicans like to point out that a lot of the cities where they're protesting are uh democratically held and it's like yeah because the point is not limited to one party or the other it's the whole system mm-hmm. um you know demanding legislative measures to make the tie between the elected officials and their constituents stronger such as the elimination of gerrymandering as a practice and the establishment of congressional term limits would be a benefit to all racial communities in the united states and that yeah. includes like you know the, the, there's those people who as soon as you hear black lives matter will be like well what about all lives and it's like yeah but we're trying to point out that in this context right context of this moment there's something else that matters but in this case, you know, you you want to help racial communities. These things would help all of them. Right. You know, yeah. um, I mean, yeah, <laughs> it's not like anybody who says black lives matter automatically forfeits the lives of other people. You know, all right. lives do matter. But currently in this scenario, black lives really do need some looking after. Yeah. It's, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it'd be the same across the board for any, you know, any race, you know, like if. If the white, if the white, you know, majority became the minority, and then the white, you know, whites were, you know, attacked all the time, then I'm sure some people would start saying white lives matter. You know, like it's it's just at this moment, at this juncture, currently, this is a big issue. Well, exactly, and, and and put it to to further that point, you know, it, 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 even without the switch in in, in size, if it was just that white like the police were the police interactions with white people were resulting in death at a rate right. more mm-hmm. than the proportion that it affected other communities then you would expect that same outcry for 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 white lives too but it's it's Very, not right not absolutely <laughs> right you know mm-hmm. so yeah you know white people die at police hands too but not at the same rate proportional to the population size right and, 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 and that's what's important, you know. Um, but when we're looking at systemic things, you know, effective change that benefits all will not happen if we stifle the outcry in order to return to, return to a false sense of security. Right. It wasn't there before. And I think that's the point that most people who were living in tranquility didn't get is that tranquility that you want to go back to wasn't there. For a lot of people, right. Because these issues didn't arise overnight. Yeah. Like to go back to the pot of rice analogy, like a pot of rice, it has taken time for the situation to come to a boil. Yeah. So why would we return to that same insecure sense of security and expect a different outcome in a year? Yeah. In two, 
in five years. Right. You know, it's it's just you you can't you can't halfway measure it. You gotta you gotta follow the recipe and and keep in mind that our, our bureaucracy was always meant to be slow. Yeah. So you know, don't expect that tranquility overnight. Don't expect that security overnight. Right. And but, yeah. able to pressure the government to get that security over time. Right. And it's been slow and it's going to be slow. And if not slower in the future, the more people you add to the mix, the more communities you add, the more, you know, um, diverse it becomes, the longer it'll take. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> Flavius, anything to add? Oh, are you even still awake? Did we lose him? We might have lost him. Might have lost him. Oh yeah. <laughs> but what I wanted to say too, I just want to add one more thing to the uh, to what you were saying with the, the you know um, majorities and minorities uh, is is that the replacement myth is is a myth is is exactly what it is. I mean, imagine. Um, uh, Age, for example, like uh, when you're when your son, when your son or your father or your you know your the child to your parent, you know when you're first born, you're one years old, and your parent is let's say 25. By the time they reach 25 and you're 20, oh, by the time they re- you reach 25 years old, and they're 50. The gap becomes so much shorter. You know, it's a huge gap between you're one 25th of the age of your you know your parent when you know you're first born, but by the time you're 25, you're half that age. Yeah. A huge difference in in, in, in fraction, you know, fractal, like you know, fractions, um, and it'll only get shorter. If decimally small, by the time you know, if we all lived infinitely long, there'd be a point where the the difference is nominal. Like it's, yeah. it's you know, it's very finite. And yep. it's the same thing, you know, just because the percentages change doesn't mean that there's more you know there's you know the white you know you know white people are getting erased from america that just means that overall everyone's growing you know and there'll always be that growth and that's kind of the beauty of it too is there's more growth to be had and that goes across the world too is just you know there's not going to be a single race you know ultimately in the end we can't have that you know (laughs) (laughs) well and you know it uh I like the point of, about, about how it's growing. And, and I do think that, um, you know, when it comes to looking across the world, <laughs> there's a lot of ways to have a negative perspective about a lot of things, but um, you know, uh, there's not, there's a lot of things I want to fix about my country. There's Agreed. a lot of things that I think could make it better. But one thing I love about this country is the diversity that it has. Yeah. Um, I, I think that this country has a unique perspective um, because of its diversity. Um, I just think that there's other, th- like that, that there's things that we could recognize about this country um, that would help us to uh, sort of have a more honest understanding of, of what it, of what this country is and what has made it, made it what it is, you know? Yeah. Um, it's it's I I love the diversity I love the, the the history but I also recognize that this country is built on a genocide. Yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. and, and you know, I was I, I wrote a post about it the other day, or I commented, is um you know I mean, and this is this has been said millions of times over. I'm not going to take quote over this, but you know, those who choose to forget history are doomed to repeat it. Yeah. You know, and and that that's a 
it's an interesting saying, but I mean, it's, you know, when you, when you really look at it and you can't forget everything that's happened, it's not to say that you can forgive everything. It's not, you know, but to remember it, to, you know, harness it, to understand it and then get better and grow from it. You know, we're, we're not, we're not getting to the point of, you know, where we are by like, you know, stepping on the heads of other people. You yeah. know, we need, we need the people who have paved the road before us and we could still make it better. Yeah. And we can make it better for as many people as possible. That's, that's supposed to be the promise of this, of this country. <laughs> right. Exactly. Right. <laughs> you know, so it's not that we don't, we don't love the country. We're just, we're, we're, we're trying to speak out to, to, to help it improve itself right and you know there could be a lot worse places to live to be honest um this podcast alone probably wouldn't be able to exist in a lot of other countries (laughs) yeah yeah um you know yeah you're exactly right with that one (laughs) (laughs) and the specifics because those are those are now uh yeah well but right (laughs) I, i believe um but so that that about unties this knot. Uh, we are still a listener-supported podcast. If you would like to donate, our Patreon is listed. Um, we are going to start, uh, I think, starting tomorrow because <laughs> it's pretty late. I'm gonna I'm gonna go to bed tonight. But starting tomorrow, we're going to um, our our Patreon supporters will get instant access to our show notes to see sort of how we wrote about things and kind of where our opinions lie um, inside the margins. But also gain access, like I said, I, I have, um, there's that, that, that Tupac recording that I have linked into one of uh, the show notes that I sent out to you and, and, and Flavius. And so, yeah. you know, we're going to start posting those. Uh, so our Patreon supporters will get instant access to show notes. Um, and we're still thinking on uh, working on other gifts and ideas um, because we, we, you know, we, we, we love your support. We love your mm-hmm. uh, we appreciate if you take the time to review, even if it's constructive criticism. And even if we have no idea where to see it, uh, you know, everything, every little bit helps. Right. So um, as always, thank you for listening and we will see you next time on untying the knot. Stay safe and stay informed. Take care. y'all.